there, everybody. Welcome to the Whitney Whiskey Cast. I'm DJ Gagnon here with my co-host Mark Rossetti. Hello, and uh, we got a pretty great topic this week. I think uh, we both had a really hard time narrowing down our recommendations this week, but we're not going to talk about that yet because we get some banter, buddy. How was your week? <laughs> Nothing like the official banter segment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is okay. Um, no, my <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to be awkward, and then I made it super awkward. It was great. Well, that's, that's good. We're rolling with it. We're keeping with a trend. I mean, this is what episode fourteen, so yeah, it, we 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 have to keep going with our trends here. Yeah, my week w- was all right. I mean, it did nothing but rain here. I was digging out some old art designs, you know, from when I was a child. But I got to go down and uh, see my godson, which was good because it's going to be, you know, what well, was his birthday actually last week. He's three. And Damn. his parents are <clears throat> going to have another baby. On, actually, on Thanksgiving is her due date, weirdly enough. So they're obviously going to be quarantining very shortly. And, you know, we're not with COVID and everything. We're not doing Thanksgiving this year anyway. So I got to go down and see him you know, before the new baby comes, because I'm not exactly the most germ-free individual, even not on a pandemic year. So, <laughs> uh, you know, wanted to get down there before they go and do a little bit of a self-imposed lockdown. But it was good. You know, he's three now, so I could start to introduce him to Hot Wheels. Uh, got, a, got a track set up for him, you know, trying to teach him some basic physics, you know, about, you know, why a car goes faster, needs to go fast to go through a loop-de-loop and things like that. And he, he was picking up on it pretty quick. He but, you know, he's he's a typical guy. He just, like, smashing them into each other. And, you know, God, who doesn't? So that was fun. Also got to read a little bit more uh, this week. I finally got my hands on a copy of Grand Prix Saboteurs, which is a fantastic book, hard to find out of print. If you've ever played the video game The Saboteur, this uh, really underrated, ridiculous, over-the-top GTA clone where you play as an Irishman, uh, who's a race car driver, but secretly working with the French Resistance. The concept itself is actually true. Uh, the British actually recruited some early Grand Prix drivers to do sabotage behind enemy lines in France because they were fucking insane to begin with. <laughs> uh, and finally, in I believe it was 2000 or 2001, their records were finally declassified uh, by the British government. And so this book is sort of a telling of their story. It's very, very good. So I'm about halfway through that, and I can't recommend it enough. That's awesome. Uh, What about you? What did you do? Some work stuff this week, but it wasn't nearly as bad as uh, previous weeks had been. We kind of did a little Halloween event at the end of the week uh, over uh, our conferencing software. So we got to play... Uh, some like spooky Halloween trivia games and half of us dressed up and there was some some good laughter to be had by all. With all of the weird like hell stuff and getting the house ready, uh, we forgot that Holly was going to take vacation this week. So I failed to be able to take any days this week. So Holly got a lot of rest. I you know kind of hung out with her at lunch this week. But more importantly, there were some cool media pickups this week. Uh, I went to the oh, comic. I saw. I'm very jealous. Yeah, I, I went to the comic book store uh, today, and I picked up. I don't know if uh, any of our listeners are super big comic book fans, but Mark, I don't know if you read any of the Dark Knight's Metal. 
Uh, bits and pieces here and there, mostly as it fit into uh, a few series that you know I was going. Uh, you, you had to read a bit of it to get some background for the new Batman Superman series, but I haven't been following it as closely as I probably should be. It's very good. Uh, the I mean I I won't go through. We this is not a comic book episode, but the great part about Dark Knight metal is that it kind of brought in this weird like haunted multiverse it's very very halloweeny very just just kind of crazy and the they spun off a lot of really cool comic plots of it and anytime they wanted to pop like a new spooky thing out of it it, it reminds me a lot of oh what's the one uh fear itself do you remember the fear itself yes, stuff yes. i think that's mar that's marvel but uh, same same deal, you know, just like a haunted multiverse. And one of the offshoots launched this week, and it's called Robin King. And it's uh, a, a, one of the universes. Robin grew up and killed his parents and became like this evil vigilante. Spent the entire Wayne fortune on making a... a like belt of power that had things that could kill any of the justice league members and then systematically slaughtered the justice league in his world and then came to our world. Now I imagine you probably had the same conflicted emotions I did, uh, while reading a lot of the year of the villain last year, you know, because Lex was three steps ahead of himself, but he did have to, input some Martian DNA into him and, you know, kind of take away the little fun humanity first aspect of himself. I mean, he, he has a way out of that, which I won't get into because I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, uh, I imagine you're you were probably just as conflicted as I was, because that's an awesome, awesome take on a character. But it kind of takes away from, you know, what we all know and love. It does. And I, I mean, I my favorite superhero is specifically Damian Wayne's Robin. I have just loved Robin ever since I was a little kid. I was right at that age where everybody was getting into uh, Batman the Animated Series. And I, I all of my older friends were super identifying with Batman. But I was just young enough to identify with Robin. And it's never stopped. So I just, I, I love the martial arts aspect of him. I love that he's kind of like Batman, but hopeful and creative. And I... I don't love what they're doing to my poor boy Wonder in this comic, but I like the like the conceit of like a what if universe, you know, where Robin goes insane. So uh, that's really good. I picked up the uh, the last Ronin uh, issue one, which is a five issue miniseries of TMNT. It's like oh, it's like post apocalyptic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where only one of the turtles has survived, Splinter's dead, Shredder's dead, and, like, Shredder's great-grandson has turned, uh, like, Manhattan into just the worst, like, post-apocalyptic, high-tech city full of robots and Big Brother. It's super interesting, and they don't tell you which of the four turtles uh, it is that you're following until the last page of the first issue, and I won't spoil it here. But it's oh, that's a fun twist. It's very good. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy how 
how it goes through. And now it's like last page, you get introduced to another character who is now just old as fuck. And that person uh, tells you who the name of the turtle is by asking the turtle a question. And then that's it. That is the last page. And there's four more issues to figure out what the fuck happened. So they, because they went back to black and white for this one, right? Like they, the originals? No, um, no, but the turtle is wearing, okay. uh, it's full color, but the turtle is wearing like a black eye mask, so you can't tell which one it is. That works. Yeah. So, uh, I, just lots of really good media this week. Holly and I are super hooked on uh, the Netflix show Kim's Convenience, uh, which is a, about a Korean family running a... Um, yeah, convenience store in, in Toronto. It's just weird and wonderful and wholesome, and, and we love it. So, yeah, that's kind of where my week went. Uh, a lot better. I got some uh, some decent sleep this week. That being said, what are you drinking? Well, uh, as I sent to you yesterday, and uh, what will be up on the various social medias by the time this issue makes a issue listen to me this episode makes air uh i went to the liquor store yesterday i had some uh free time uh, while waiting for our chinese takeout to be picked up the lady said hey you got about five ten minutes and uh our chinese place is located next door to one of the state monopoly liquor stores so i said look i'm just gonna run over get some whiskey i'll be right back and they had there they only had one left which is probably what really pushed me to buy it a three-pack of various um, upper mediocre to low high-end, if that makes any sense, uh, bourbons. And they're actually all made by uh, the Jim Beam Distillery, which I know we like to give Jim Beam a lot of shit here on the Witten Whiskey. And I actually don't hate it as much as DJ does. I don't. Uh, I d- would like to clarify. I don't hate Jim Beam. I just did not enjoy the the Jim Beam and Cola in the same can. Well, I mean, I think we can all agree, you know, even me, who I, I drink quite a bit of their pre-prohibition rye. Um, for what it is, it's fine. But it's not, you know... It's a good entry level. It's not quite a, a tale from the well, but it's, you know, it's a good entry level. It's good for mixing. That's about as far as Jim Beam goes. But, you know, like a car company like General Motors, they don't just have their Jim Beam brand. So this was a three-pack. Now, admittedly, they're all the small bottles, but still, it was uh, Jim Beam Black, Knob Creek Nine Year, and Basil Hayden's. So one of those three does not belong with the other two, and I'll let you figure out which one, you know, doesn't belong. Uh, but this week, I decided to review Basil Hayden's, which I've always liked, but I don't usually buy because it's usually about 45 to $50 uh, a bottle. Now, this set, and the other thing that attracted me to it, even though they were the smaller bottles, was only $45, whereas normally in Pennsylvania to buy the three separate would be about between 60 and 65 depending on, you know, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down, but it'd be at least $60, so it, it was a good deal. And Basil Hayden's is fun because it is actually named after Basil Hayden Sr., who was a distiller for the Jim Beam Distillery years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago. And he was known for putting a high rye content into his bourbon. That was sort of his trademark. 
So famously, the Basil Hayden bourbon is uh, just over one third rye. Uh, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. As we talked about here on the Witten Whiskey, I came uh, from bourbon to rye. So this is sort of a nice go between uh, for the two. Uh, they, you know, like to claim that it's, uh, what was the exact, I actually had the website up here because they had a very, very peculiar way of naming it. Let me see if I can find it here. But it basically was like, was like entry level premium was what they called it or something. Basically they're, they're looking for people who, um, you know, maybe listening to the Witten Whiskey. People who are getting into whiskey have only really drank Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and they're looking for something that's a step up. And so this is pretty good. My only real complaint is it's only 80 proof, but because of that, it is so smooth. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of wood, you get a little bit of orange zest. Um, you know, the wood is mostly oak for the most part, um, so it's not really super smoky. Uh it's very, very, very light, and it's quick. Like, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll take a drink, you'll, you know, move it around in your mouth, and you'll have the, the nose, as they call it, the start, then you'll have the, you know, the, the medium part of it, and then it'll finish. This is just almost like taking a shot. It's just very quick, snap of the fingers. There's no real en uh, end to it. It just sort of cuts off which is kind of fun. Uh, you could definitely taste the rye. You know, it still has a, a, a corn bourbon taste to it as well, but it's sort of a, a nice 50-50. So if you're a bourbon drinker and you're on the fence, uh, definitely try Basil Hayden's. I mean, it is a little pricey, as we said, but it's generally well worth it. My, my buddy Aaron got me into Basil Hayden's years and years ago, so shout out to you, Dangerous, if you're listening. That's awesome. What are you drinking this week? All right, I'm sending you the picture right now. Oh, yes, we should explain for our folks at home. DJ's been teasing me for about the last four or five hours, but, uh, but he won't tell me what it is. So I'm opening the photo now. We can do this all, you know, we'll do it live. As yeah, yeah, so don't, don't say the name, but you can feel free to react. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, right, so I, I, won't, I won't spoil what it is, but he had texted me earlier today and said, I'm really dipping into the well for this one. <laughs> and... If you would put a gun to my head, I never would have guessed in 10 guesses how deep into the well he's just gone. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, I promised Mark that before the end of season one, I would dip into the well. And I haven't had an official tale from the well yet. So this is my first tale from the well. This is one hell of a way to make up for it, son. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, so Mark had a few. Uh, so I went to the store today. And I tried not to turn up my nose at anything, and I bought a gift pack. I am drinking Bird Dog Blackberry Flavored Whiskey. Now, somewhere, if my buddy Walton is listening, he is hooting, because Walton loves Bird Dog, both the whiskey and actual hunting dogs. He has quite a few himself. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to try something seasonal and I couldn't find anything that was kind of like, uh, it just seemed to be for the fall. There was a lot of Jack Daniel's honey and Jim Beam peach and all sorts of stuff like that on the shelf. And I figured if I'm going to do a flavored whiskey, I might as well go for the gift box that has some nip bottles of 
peach and black cherry flavored whiskey. And it was $15 at the liquor store here in New Hampshire, ladies and gents. It's got a certain scent. <laughs> it smells, it smells like a lollipop. Yes, it has a very Jolly Rancher-esque quality to it. Yeah, it, it smells like candy, and I can't tell if this is going to to turn my stomach to finish the glass, but I'm going to try to finish the glass today. It's um certainly on the back says has added caramel coloring. Uh, it's it tastes of blackberry. It doesn't taste like whiskey. It's probably alcoholic. I assume it's alcoholic. It says it's eighty proof. Um, I I'm not gonna go down my usual thing of like tasting notes and scent things because it just. It vaguely tastes, remember like when we were kids, Mark, and like there, there was like a wave when we were really young of companies just trying desperately to make cough syrups that didn't taste like cough syrup. Yes. And so for a while, like we got Robitussin that was like grape flavored and like mixed berry flavored. That's kind of what this tastes like. Like, our parents would be like, it's good for you, and it tastes of grape, and then you'd take it, and it would taste not like grape. That's kind of what this tastes like. I'm sure it's probably got some some blackberries in it. Uh, I'm sure they tried to do something here. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know that I'm going to be drinking this very often. You know, we we generally try not to chastise any individual groups on this uh, podcast. And so what I say next, I, I legitimately say with no ill intent behind it. But at the bar where, you know, pre-Rona before we got shut down, where I was bartending, we didn't have the blackberry, but we did actually have a bottle of the peach, the bird dog peach. And it wasn't obviously one of our top five or even top ten sellers, but we moved enough of it that I had to pour some in my day. And I will say that generally, and of course we've established that generalizations are dangerous, but generally in my personal experience, it was for people who did not usually drink hard alcohol, but were with a group and wanted to fit in. Yeah. Which with the crazy craft beers we have today, I'll, I'll never understand that because you can get more drunk off some of these craft beers than you can off a of whiskey. Mm-hmm. For some reason, still in these older, smaller bars, there is sort of a stigma about a beer drinker versus a whiskey drinker. So this allows you to sort of close the gap. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, yeah. It definitely seems like something that I probably, if I had been drinking in college, this would have been what I was drinking after a breakup. It just, it was easy. Wow. It was, it was easy to get. It feels like I could get drunk real quick on this. Um, I, I, I honestly wish I could say I hated it more than I do. Well, see, okay, I have to ask the question that I think people at home are asking, because, again, I have never had the Blackberry, and if there's a justin-loving God, I never will. Uh, but how does it compare to arguably the most famous Blackberry drink? How does it compare to LaRue? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to try LaRue. I don't think I've ever had LaRue. 
Well, there we go. That'll be something to do in our in-between season break. Yeah, I mean, this tastes like candy. It tastes like candy and cough syrup. I feel like there's some some uncouth jokes I could make about bearded men in white vans, but uh, I think I'm just going to sidestep that whole topic. Speaking as a bearded man, I appreciate that. Uh, yep, so uh, Bird Dog Blackberry Flavored Whiskey. I can't say that I'm recommending it. I don't recommend that everybody find it and try it and say it's their favorite whiskey. But I do recommend everybody try it at least once in their life. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You you definitely need to try. And again, I still stand by this. I've even, I, I have had the peach, you know, because we do sell it at the bar. It is still not the worst whiskey I've ever had, not even close. I mean, that $8.99 bottle of Corby's, which from what I understand, they took off the market. Uh, you know, very, I, I don't want to say nothing will ever beat it, but God almighty, I hope nothing will ever beat it. You know, I, I'll say this for Bird Dog because I had the unique experience of having a shot of Malort once. That's a story for season two. I'm just throwing that out there. M- Malort tasted like bile and hatred and everything that ruins Christmas. So uh, next to Malort, I think the blackberry flavored whiskey from Bird Dogs, just fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, just remember, chances are there's always something worse no matter what you're drinking. Yes. So uh, again, not recommending it, but I ain't going to yuck any yums. If if Bird Dogs your your deal and, and you like it, have at it. But uh, speaking of having at it and speaking of, you know, different preferences, that gets us into our awesome topic this week, which is board games. And see, that's a great segue because we're talking about different preferences. And my preference with this podcast is generally to follow the rules. DJ, on the other hand, just decided that since he is the creator of the Wit and Whiskey, he's going <laughs> to throw the rule book away. No, no, no. So as Co- I struggled all week First to come of all, up- co-creator, but I felt entitled to add a couple of additional honorable mentions since I took the dive of Bird Dog this week. So, you know, I, I don't need to explain this, you know, to you folks. You, you've you been listening. You know how this works when we do these. We generally play with the rule of three because that's the way it works for comedy. And then we throw in an honorable mention. So, you know, at most you get four. I legitimately struggled having to pick four. And, you know, I boot up my laptop this week, look at the notes, and someone has seven on his list. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> good sir, six. Oh, okay, okay. I, I forgot. I, I, I have it. I, I, I misread that. He has six. Still. I mean, which, um, I, I can just leave the beast off if you'd like. No, see, I knew that's what you were going to say, because you know that's the only one that I legitimately... I mean, a few of these I've played, but of the ones I haven't played, that's the one that I'm most interested in hearing about. So, you bastard. Well, since we have to get through your list, why don't you start? <laughs> all right, I'll start. My first favorite board game... My uh, So, my first three are all going to be recommendations, then the last three are... Honorable mentions that are very good, but I either feel like people have heard of or I just didn't, you know, didn't really want to recommend it. (laughs) So um, my first one is Dominion. Uh, Dominion is an amazing game. Uh, You ever played Dominion, Mark? 
I believe I have. I believe Iggy has Dominion. I mm-hmm. want to say I played it with him once. Uh, Dominion is my all-time favorite board game. Uh, I have one uh, very good friend that will play it with me whenever I want online. Shout out to Ryan. Uh, she introduced me to Dominion back shortly after we graduated from college, and uh, it is a uh, deck-building game, uh, but the core concept of Dominion is every game is different. Uh, there are some core, core cards like money and victory point cards, and then the, the field has 10 cards that you build your deck from. So you start off with just a few victory cards and a bunch of coin, you buy cards into your deck and you slowly start chaining cards together and getting additional actions and additional buys and additional coin until you can start buying like the high level victory points. And uh, the games can go pretty quick if you know how to play them. Uh, Ryan and I have had games that go for about a half an hour. Uh, I've also played in like four or five hour Dominion games depending on, you know, what how much we're shooting the shit and and you know who's playing and it's a great game uh it was the original base game of dominion came out in 2008 uh it's released by rio grande games uh so if you i I feel like we should take a sidestep here and talk about like the tiers of board games and kind of talk a little bit from where mark and i are coming from mark and i really like board games and we've been playing them for years and when Mark and I talk about board games, we're not really talking about shoots and ladders and the game of life. And I did actually play shoots and ladders today with my godson. Exactly, but <laughs> like the games we'll be recommending here aren't likely to be your standard ice breaking party games. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree with that. If you come over my house and you go into my bar room, I have a bookshelf full of board games, and you could tell which shelf shelves are mine and which shelf is my wife's. Because mine has uh, the games on it that we're going to talk about today, along with, you know, the Godfather game and Doom and the DC deck building game. And then my wife's has Monopoly and Sorry and the Game of Life, which is nothing wrong with those. No, no, I, en- no. I enjoy a cutthroat game of Monopoly as much as the next person. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's not really what we generally play. No, no. And if you, if you kind of look at the board game industry as a whole in... You know, somewhere in like the mid 2000s, uh, all of us nerds who grew up playing D&D and board games in the 90s, we finally got our hands on some of our own money. And uh, there's been some really interesting articles written about how the board game industry like got a whole second life in the mid 2000s because that's what we started spending our money on. So there's all of these what used to just be super niche games that are now a little bit more mainstream. And um, Mark, I think you and I can both agree, one of those like gateway games into, you know, the hardcore board gaming, you know, community is Settlers of Catan. Yes. Uh, I don't know that either of us are going to recommend Settlers here, but I have played a billion games of Settlers. It's, It's like the gateway drug of modern board game culture. And it's bizarre because there's there's nothing wrong with Settlers of Catan. I'll, no. I'll, you know, it's not a game that I'll pull off a shelf and say, "Hey, l- let's play Catan." But if if somebody's starting it up, I'll absolutely join in. Oh yeah. But for what it is, it is 
stupidly competitive and stupidly cutthroat. Oh, it is. And I mean, it's, you know, there's always, you know, they, who was it? I forget the stand-up comedian, but there's a stand-up comedian who does a bit about, uh, you know, you could rename every board game which one of my friends is a competitive asshole. Yeah. Catan is the epitome of which one of my friends is a competitive asshole. It is. Whereas uh, some of the games we're going to mention today are competitive. Some of the games we're going to mention today are co-op. And that is not a thing I remember being a board game when I was a kid. No. Um, the closest thing you got to co-op was making deals in risk. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, breaking the rules in Monopoly. <laughs> so Dominion, to kind of close out Dominion, uh, there are a ton of expansions for it. Uh, it's kind of based on, like, old-timey fantasy. So, you know, you've got play cards in it, like, you know, Peddler, Merchant, um, uh, Trading Ship, you know, things like that. Uh, but you've also got, like, uh, Witch and Knight and Thief. So it's it's kind of like a, a not high fantasy, but just kind of a rural fantasy setting. A little bit of myth and magic. There's some great expansions out there. My personal fav- favorites are uh, Dark Ages and Seasides. Uh, if you can get your hands on it, uh, Dominion. The first three sets in Dominion used to be sold as a big box. I haven't seen it in board game stores in a while, but it had the initial three sets of the base game. Uh, Prosperity and Alchemy, all very good. And uh, there's whole communities out there. They've got an online site you can play it on. Uh, So yeah, my first recommendation, Dominion. Well, I definitely second that. My little bit of experience with Dominion, uh, you know, aside, but definitely what I've played, I've enjoyed. For my four, I've picked games that at least locally, where I am here in Pennsylvania, weren't very popular. And I feel that that is grossly a terrible... It's, it's terrible. Like, these games should be more popular. Hopefully people listening will have played these and will be like, oh, you know, a lot of us play these here. But uh, generally around here, it's hard to find groups. With the one exception, and you'll know what the one exception is when I say it. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you know, we said last episode we could do a tabletop game, but it couldn't be D&D. So I picked what is still actually my favorite tabletop game. It, it isn't Dungeons and Dragons. It's Deadlands. Have we played this? I mean, I played it for years. I've never played it with anyone in our group, unfortunately. That is unfortunate. Deadlands is uh, essentially, to, to simplify it, D&D in the Old West. Oh, Okay. The canonical year of the game is 1876. It involves uh, basically Native Americans putting... uh, Native Americans can use magic uh, naturally and putting a spell on America. There is also a rush for the new energy source called Ghost Rock, which is coal that has the souls of the damned in it. And, you know, so you could be a gunslinger. You can be, you know, a, a fighter, a soldier... You could be a spellcaster, and this is your DJ is going to pop when he hears this because uh, he probably doesn't know this. I think AJ knows this, but do you know how you, you? You'll make the connection in a second. Do you know how you cast spells in Deadlands? No. Like the actual game mechanic that you, as the player, had to do. A wooden spoon. 
a deck of cards. Hell yeah. <laughs> you actually had to draw high-low for certain spells, and you had to play a hand of poker. And the in-story reason was that Hoyle, you know, you often see on the back of both playing cards and magician's kits, uh, Hoyle's, uh, you know, the Hoyle was a real person. He was a famous magician. And in-story, he was the first person to discover that playing cards are inherently magical. So his book of magician tricks is actually a cover for real magic. That's amazing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. I, I understand <laughs> the influence now. Um, and so, you know, and it had real people in it. Um, Abe Lincoln uh, rises from the dead after he gets shot and is just sort of wandering around. Uh, Doc Holliday is the ultimate huckster. Like, I, I, you know, everything is similar to D or D&D. It's all in a D20 system. But I, I seem to recall that, you know, if you made it to Tombstone, Doc Holliday's magic was like a 27 on a 20 scale. So, uh, it, you know, it was just a really cool game. They actually made a card game called Doomtown, which sort of ran off the Deadlands system. They tried to compete with Magic the Gathering, and, you know, that went about as well as you could expect. Damn. But if you ever want, especially if you have a group of people and you want to do a fun one-shot, uh, some of the books get really, really crazy. Hell on Earth, you can actually fight the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. Whoa. In the Old West. Yeah, in the Old West, so... Deadlands, uh, look it up. 1996 was the first edition. They actually, in 2006, released the newest edition called Reloaded. Any of them are great. So, you know, they're, they're not that hard to find. That's amazing. I like that you sidestepped D&D by talking about D&D. I was talking about my influence. For <laughs> See, my current character in Dungeons & Dragons is a magician who uses a deck of cards as magic. And yeah, no, it's, uh, we're, we're doing magic, see? Yeah, we're doing magic, uh, you know, Pete Calloway, but it actually comes uh, from Deadlands. Where, weirdly enough, I didn't play a huckster. I played an old Union soldier uh, with PTSD from the Indian Wars, but, you know. I feel like you're as excited about Calloway as I am about Rabbit. Hey, it's a whole new world. It is. <laughs> All right, what's your second one? All righty. My f second one is uh, was released in 2016 by Riot Games. My buddy Chris recommended this to me. It is, if you can get it at its original price, it's a steal. The box is huge, and it comes with so many things in it that I'm not actually sure how they got away with selling it for as low as they did. Uh, but the game is Mechs versus Minions. Now, this one I have not played, but I'm very interested. It's a very good game. It's uh, it's co-op. I believe there might be one mission that you can simulate PvP, but it's so much fun as co-op. Like, who the fuck wants to do that? And uh, Mechs vs. Minions is a board game based off of the Yordles from League of Legends. Now, I have maybe played an hour of League of Legends because I was playing it on a Mac and got destroyed and just decided it was not for me. Uh, so I don't know a whole lot about League of Legends, but the Yordles, as I've come to understand, are League of Legends versions of D&D gnomes. And the whole okay. concept of mechs versus minions is that the Yordles built themselves mechs and they are they there is a story that you play through in Max versus Minions. You play it in stages, just like a video game. And it combines like co-op strategy with like assembly language programming. 
uh, which okay. sounds really complicated, <laughs> but basically you've got a command slot. You, like your play field is a, is a, like you have six slots for your mech. And then you have actions that you load into those slots. And based on where you load the actions, your mech does a certain thing. So like you might have like turn, move three spaces, turn again, and fire your lasers. And, you know, different effects might like reverse things. Like maybe your mech goes in reverse and you completely fuck something up. Your mech can glitch out and slots can get taken up with glitches. So it's it's like a little bit of programming, like computer logic, and a lot of like co-op strategy. And, you know, some of it is like, here is a bomb, and you have to work together to push your bomb to the end of the, like, arena. And if you aren't careful, all of the minions blow up the bomb and blow you all up and you lose. The cool thing about Mechs vs. Minions, it's in a, such a huge box and it's perfectly organized to fit in the box because it's got like over a hundred miniatures. The, there's the four yordles and there's like a super secret one in the very bottom of the box that is like a boss mech that's fully colored. And then there's like all of these like unpainted miniatures of minions in various stages. There's like custom dice for the game. There's like all of these like 3D little things, like the bomb is one of them. It looks like a sea mine and you have to move it. Uh, each character has their own deck of cards. So it's kind of like deck building and, and you, you draw your hand and it, it's great. It, it's such a fun game. There's a, lots of hidden little secrets to it. Like the instruction booklet says like, don't open this book until you get to this stage. And there's like different cards that get added to people's decks at different stages. It's it's elaborate and takes like 20 minutes to set up. It's my kind of game. I love it. I, I would love to bring it to a Team Leroy hangout at some point and see what you guys make of it. I'd give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So that's my second game. If you can get your hands on it, I'm looking it up to see if uh, uh, you can even get it nowadays because it was, it was one of those like crazy games that just... Uh, it, it, it was like a flash fire and then it was gone. Um, so I don't actually know if you can get it anymore. Oh, it looks like you can on Amazon. It's currently $164. And honestly, that's not a bad price for what this game is. No, that's, that's actually not bad at all. Well, uh, I think that segues nicely into what I'll pick to be my second game. My second game, and this is a terrible analogy, but it's the only way I can describe this, so uh, forgive me if you're offended by this, but I have the relationship with this game that a battered spouse has. It <laughs> just hurts me and hurts me and hurts me, and I keep coming back. That's funny, because that's the third one for me. <laughs> I just, I can't get away from this game. It was re The first edition was released in 1986. It is published by Games Workshop. Of course, I am talking about the sheer and utter madness that is Blood Bowl. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, and in America, that's pretty much everyone. Blood Bowl is what England thinks American football is. The only thing is, it's set in the Warhammer universe. So if you're familiar all with Warhammer um, or any of its variants, you know, 40K, Age of Sigmar, God only knows what the hell they're on now. Um, you know, you have various races. You have uh, 
the Skaven, which are rat people. You, of course, have humans. You have the mutant chaos team. You have, uh, you know, vampires are a race. Amazons are a race. There's three or four different races of elves. Well, in the Blood Bowl universe, they decide to stop fighting and settle their differences with football. <laughs> uh, but it's chaotic football with chainsaws and steamrollers and very little rules. So it's uh, another miniature game. Uh, the base set costs about two hundred dollars. Well, the the older ones did. I don't. They just this like this month released a new edition for no reason whatsoever, just to make money, I guess. Uh, I don't know what that costs, but you get the human team and the orc team in the box. Uh, you have to put the minis together. You have to paint them. And uh, the whole gimmick with this is it's sort of like Magic the Gathering. It's sort of like any other customizable game. You have to customize your team. You can have you know, uh, so many players in the field at once, but you have to, you know, do you have uh, passers? Do you have catchers? Do you have linemen? Uh, every race has a big guy, like for humans it's an ogre, for orcs it's a troll, etc., etc. And you have limits, you can only have so many of each type, and they cost money, so you have to, of course, buy more minis and put them together and balance your team. The problem with this game is it's insanely complicated. There are rules and rules and rules. The rulebook for years was actually called the Living Rulebook because it changed literally weekly. Uh, you know, you have the actual rules packaged in with the box. You have game books like a tabletop game like D&D or Deadlands. You have rules to be published in issues of White Dwarf. As they released individual star players, they would come with a little card with their own rules specific to those miniatures. So it just, it just kept going. I've been playing Blood Bowl off and on for probably 25 years. I don't think I've ever actually played a game correctly by the letter of the rules because I couldn't tell you what they are. <laughs> uh, it's insanely long. You're looking at two and a half hours on the low end, usually. Uh, and... Uh, the other main problem is Nuffle. Mm -hmm. Blood Bowl is where we get Nuffle from. In universe, it is the god of random chance. And being that this is a football game, it is a mispronunciation of the letters NFL. It's Nuffle. <laughs> and the game is insanely, it's all dice. It's all reliant on dice. You roll dice for everything. Uh, custom dice that come with the game. And... If you fail on a dice roll, it's an instant turnover. So you can have one turn where you move all 11 of your guys, or you can have another turn where your first player uh, misrolls and your turn ends. Uh, and depending on how it goes, you know, if you have a failure, you have to roll uh, an armor break because all the characters have armor. If you break your armor, you have to roll an injury chart. And then if you're injured, you have to do another roll to see how bad the injury is. And if you roll enough critical misses in a row, your character dies. And when I say he dies, I don't just mean for the game. The idea with Blood Bowl is it's a continuing thing. You evolve your team over a series of games. So if your character dies, he's dead. Woof. Um, and you can literally just have him try to run across the field with no one around him. He could trip over his own feet, break his neck, and die. I've had that happen many a times, as has any Blood Bowl player. So Nuffle is a bitch. Uh, Blood Bowl itself is awesome. The molds are awesome. If you can find someone to play it, uh, it's great. If you're interested in it, the video game, which is cool, it isn't as fun, I don't think. I prefer the tabletop myself. But the video game is on uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox, and it's like 20 bucks. Uh, you know, so if you want to try it, as opposed to dropping 200 for the starter set for the board game, I, I would definitely recommend playing it. But 
it's hard and you're not going to get good fast. I've been playing for years. I'm still not good. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, don't take it personally. <laughs> so tell your friends. Exactly. <laughs> You'll all suck together. All right. So my, my last one is again, I feel like it's my poor kicked puppy. It is terrible. It keeps tearing up my shoes and shitting in my socks and I but just you can't get rid of it. I can't, I can't get rid of it. Um, and anybody who was on my weekly board game night for like years, uh, is going to groan as soon as they hear this, that they won't be able to believe I'm still talking about it. Um, it's called machine of death. And the entire principle of machine of death, I, I believe this game came out in 2013. I know because I kickstarted it. <laughs> And the entire concept of Machine of Death is they set up the world and it's exactly like our world, but at the age of like 13, you get to like, you you give a drop of blood to like a vending machine and it tells you how you're going to die. Okay. And that's, there's a book that came out along with the board game. The book is hilarious uh, because like the whole posit is like, you know that this is how you're going to die and you can't, you can't avoid it. So like people who like get, you know, you might get a slip of paper and it might be super specific, right? Like die skydiving into a volcano in Hawaii. Well, that would seem pretty easy to avoid, right? You just don't go to Hawaii and inevitably it will happen in some hilarious way. Or your slip could be very vague, like water or drowning. And so you might just be hydrophobic, but, you know, you slip on a puddle and you can't get your face out of the water and you die. So the game, and it's not a very highly rated game, and I'm obstinate about this. The game is one of those, like, party-style games where you each draw a bunch of cards And then you have to, like, figure out how to kill the person uh, who has come up. You know who they are and what their slip of paper is and whether or not they've gotten the slip of paper. Because you can just not go to the machine when you turn 13. And the, the game posits that you are all assassins in this world and you have to kill the person in the way that they are meant to die. Which sounds super interesting, but the problem is, is it requires a group of people who can both argue their point of view, but also suspend reality enough to debate whether or not their idea for assassination is the best out of anybody in the room. It's a hard rule set, and I have yet to meet people who don't get eternally frustrated and just walk away. And the game rules, like I've watched videos and how people play, I think it's fascinating. They actually had to do like an addendum to the game like four or five years later with a set of rules that make it much more like Dungeons and Dragons-esque where there's a game master. Okay. So it actually makes it a lot more fun when you play it the second way, but I can't get anybody to play it with me anymore, so... It, well, maybe we can have AJ run a game for me and you one day. Right. I I find Machine of Death fascinating. I recommend it to everybody. 
Everybody I recommend it to stops taking my board game recommendations because everybody hates this game. But I love it. I love it so much. I love the concept. I love the cards. I love the way the game works. You just have to find, like, a group of people who doesn't mind, like, arguing but also doesn't mind voting against themselves if somebody else comes up with a great idea. kind of sounds like it's a combination of, like, D&D, Munchkin, and The Weakest Link. Yeah, it's... It's kind of fascinating, and there's so much in the box. Uh, it's great. I, I love it. But that's my that's my third board game recommendation. Well, now, I think for my third one, there's only one way we can go. And you'll know, I think we saved the best. You could last. say that the last is bomb. The last is indeed bomb. So, uh, you're probably all wondering why we've just adopted really bad Eastern European accents. The reason for that is the last game I picked is, I believe, the only one on either one of our lists that we both own. Yeah, and we both fought over this, and then Mark won out. So, Mark gets to tell you about it. It is Red Scare Redux. Now, this actually was a Kickstarter game. Neither one of us backed it on Kickstarter. Nope. Um, I was actually lucky enough to play it originally with the publishers. Uh, there are a couple, John and Bridget, John and Bridget Crawford. Uh, I played a round with John at PAX East four years ago now. Yeah, I think it was uh, three. Was it no, the one it, that I missed or was it the one that we? It was the one we met up at. Yeah, it was the one we met up yep. at. So, uh, and it's basically... I love any type of media that runs off of tropes for that media and just plays with them and has fun with them. This is a card game uh, for uh, spy lovers. It's a combination of James Bond and Archer and the man from Uncle and just, you know, any trope you can think of related to the spy genre, it uh, works with. Uh, the reason why we were talking with Russian accents is <laughs> it's in a world where the Soviet Union never fell, and it's made to be played co-op competitively. You're supposed to be on teams, sort of democracy versus communism. You, you pick a country at the start, the Soviet Union, the United States, the United Kingdom, Cuba, France, France East and West Germany. There's a whole bunch of them, and each uh, country gives you innate uh, advantages and disadvantages. And then you work with your allies to basically sabotage uh, the other countries. You know, you have to collect victory points by doing so many missions. You have to get so many resources to do missions. There's black ops cards, which function the same as instants and magic. You can play them even when they're not on your turn. Uh, and it's it's ridiculously fun. I'm looking on Board Game Geek right now. It only has a 6.8 as its rating. Fuck all you people that reviewed it. Oh, no, it's a, it's an 11, guys. This game is, like, seriously an 11, um, especially if you're in the right group, especially if you have a glass of your favorite brown spirit. Um, and or it's quick. green spirit, to be fair. I was drinking absinthe <laughs> that night. The last time we played, DJ did tap into the absinthe. Um... I don't know if I'd recommend that necessarily, although I think you won. Your side won. Yeah, so it's because the, Iggy and I rock as a team. 
<laughs> it's it's true. Um, unfortunately, the game is now out of print. You can still find it on the usual places, Amazon. You, you can get eBay. it on their website. Uh, on oh, Fid- can you? Yeah, okay. on uh, fidgetcreative.myshopify.com. I, I have to give this shout out to them because they are that yes. good. So fidget-creative.myshopify.com. Fantastic. I think we can... I think both of us can agree out of all the games we're talking about here, and we all do love the games we're talking about here, I think this is probably our favorite of the list. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was... The, keep in mind that Mark and I played this with our D&D group, uh, plus Lou. So, yes. uh, I mean, if you are halfway decent at role-playing and enjoy imbibing a little bit with your drinking buddies, this game fucking rocks. And the fun thing is, is it's quick. You're looking at 30 to 45 minutes on average. So you can play a few rounds, um, you know, and it, it's not a slog. I mean, I enjoy a, good, a long game, you know, as much as the next person. But sometimes you just want to do some quick hits. You want to, you know, rotate. And this is a fun game. Oh, we only got an hour to kill before we have to go somewhere. What do, oh, let's play Red Scare. So uh, definitely I cannot recommend this enough, especially if you like anything related to, you know, spies or the Cold War. Yeah, honestly, around the holidays, I usually have two or three copies lying around in my board game on my board game shelves just in case I forget to get a gift for someone. And I'm like, oh, here's Red Scare Redux. Go have fun. Literally, no one that has played it has ever hated it. I mean, Lou had the famous quote uh, after we tested it out after PAX. How much did you pay for this? And I want to say it was like 25 bucks at PAX. It was stupid cheap. They were yeah. doing a show special. And he's like, fuck, you should have bought fucking two. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And he was right. Yeah. Now, if you would like, dear listeners, to use our house rule, whatever country you pick, you have to do that accent while you play yes. the game. Um, you know, we were, well, I was going to say, we, we could talk about this off air, but we had been kicking around possibly recording a game. <laughs> and we knew we couldn't do D&D just for a, my a whole list of reasons. But I think if we ever got together and played Red Scare again, that would be the game to record. I would do that. That would be hilarious. I I would be willing to put that up on like a Wit & Whiskey YouTube channel or something. Um, and, you know, first it starts off as a game, folks. Then it starts off as role-playing. Then the next thing you know, you are raiding an army surplus store to dress Lou up as Castro. Yep. And we did it. <laughs> and he looked just like Castro. Uh, it was a good trip. We're going to have to save some of those stories for next week, though. We are. But okay, so, w- 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 you know, go through your 87 honorable mentions Okay, now. so I'm going to get two honorable mentions out of the way really quick. I'm not going to talk about them at all because... Just take these as book, uh, as uh, game recommendations. One is Tavern Masters. I got it for Christmas fairly recently. I think it was last year from my buddy Ryan. Uh, it's really great. You get to play a shopkeeper uh, and just kind of sell your goods and all sorts of good stuff. The other one are the, the two Betrayal games. Um, yes. Mark and I have played this together. They are amazing. It's Betrayal at House on the Hill and Betrayal at Baldur's Gate for you D&D fans. Both are Betrayal great. is simultaneously one of my favorite games and one of the games that makes me the saddest because literally everyone I know owns it, so I have no reason to buy it, and that just makes me sad. Yeah, I don't actually own a copy because I don't need to. Uh, Betrayal was Holly's introduction to all of you in person. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, but, but, Mark, you ready for this? 
Here we go. My fourth game and the one honorable mention I will talk about. I can't wait. I can't recommend this. Yes, you can. Don't say that. (laughs) Uh, It's called The Beast. The Beast uh, is out there. It's print on demand. I'm not going to find it for you because... Don't search for it at work. Don't search <laughs> for it at work. Let's just throw that out there. I mean, you shouldn't be listening to us at work, period. But, but if, if you are and you have headphones in, don't Google this at work. Maybe get your phone out and maybe put it in an incognito tab and maybe don't tell anybody what you find. Um, so The Beast, I found, uh, it was one of my finds at PAX East. And it was weirdly in the middle of a bunch of kids games, there was a small stack of these and they're the game is like the size of a deck of cards. It's just cards. It's all it is. And across the back of every card says the beast, an unsettling erotic game for one. And, uh, the entire concept of this game is that you are having intercourse with an entity called the beast who is an alien and inhuman creature and you are hiding said beast from the world and you are writing a daily diary about your fears your anxieties and your erotic encounters do you want to tell the people at home what i think is the best part do you want to read them the first line of the rules oh oh i have to find them wasn't it? I can't believe I remember this, but you know this. This was such a talking point over that weekend, isn't it? Um, I'm in love with the beast, and it's a secret. Yeah, or something, or something along those lines. <laughs> yep. Uh, in order to, it's played over twenty day, twenty one days, I think. And uh, in order to play the game, you have to fill out something called the beast genere, which describes the shape that the beast takes for you. Uh. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It was a lot to stand there in the middle of a board game convention surrounded by all your buddies going, what the fuck did I just find in between uh, ABC 123 and I'm dating a weapon? So <laughs> to put it into perspective of how much fun we had with this, folks, our little uh, group set, our gaming group set, we have a group chat. And every so often when something relatively hilarious and or embarrassing happens to one of us, Someone will go in and change that person's nickname to reflect that incident. DJ's nickname was the Beast for a long time. It was <laughs> it was almost a year. I think we hit eleven months, and AJ swapped it out to the Bunny for me just to get it get get it off the 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 radar. Yeah, it was a long time that DJ was the Beast. So we are in no way affiliated with the Beast. If you want to play the Beast, and that sounds awesome, please don't tell us. We aren't well, going to yuck That's any That's the yums. gimmick. It's a secret. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're, we're not going to yuck any yums here, but I had to bring it up as the, the strangest find that I am going to own shortly because I didn't realize that I didn't buy it at PAX. And I'm just going to proudly put it on my bo- board game uh, shelf and never talk about it and just let people find it. I still say, swear that you actually did buy it at PAX and you just lost it in the move. I swear you had the box when we were back at Lou's. I don't maybe... remember buying it, but I, it is print on demand. So I did recently purchase a copy and it should be in in the next few weeks. If I draw Allie this, this year in the, uh, the office 
Secret Santa, I may get her a copy. Uh, if you do that, please don't tell me about it. <laughs> All, right, All right. What's well, your What's your honorable mention? Well, I was only going to do one, but since you did like eight, I'm going to do two very quickly. Uh, <laughs> one One I'll go into more detail in. The, the one I planned on I'll go into more detail in, then I'll just mention the other one since it technically isn't out yet. But the my first honorable mention is Risk Legacy. You knew I had to get a Risk game in there. God damn it, Mark. Now this uh, I don't believe at least is the was the first legacy game that was ever created, but it was the first one I ever played. No, I think Pandemic was. I believe you're right. So basically, for those of you who don't know, a legacy game is a game where uh, the changes that occur in one game affect ongoing games. So what was neat about Risk Legacy is it come like the board has kind of a, a neat texture to it and it comes with a set of markers because you're supposed to write on it uh it comes with stickers you you know uh, different countries have different effects you know you might build a city and then you get to name the city and write right on the board um you know if you use nuclear weapons uh that particular territory is pretty much destroyed and it's destroyed going on so pretty much whatever happens in one game you know will fuck things over four five and six games later yeah uh, it's a lot like your mechs uh, versus minions it has different sealed envelopes of cards you can only open at certain points it has a hidden deck of cards in a secret compartment in the bottom of the box that simply says do not open ever in all capital letters um, which I didn't even know about at first until I started reading reviews online I have not opened it. I don't know exactly what it does, but from what I understand, it basically totally fucks the game if you do it. Oh, God. Um, but I, I haven't done it. But it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. I recommend it, uh, especially if you like Risk and you like strategy games. Uh, the only real issue is you need a somewhat... <laughs> God damn, you just sent me the beast in it. <laughs> I did. Um, the only problem is you need a somewhat consistent gaming group. Because if you bring somebody in four, five, six games down the line, they're probably like, hey, why are all my people irradiated? Oh, well, you know, Billy was playing your country for a while and he fucking sucks. So <laughs> unless you can get a group that's fairly regular to play, it's kind of hard. Uh, the second one I'll just talk about very quickly because it technically isn't out yet, but I did back it on Kickstarter. Batman Animated Series Adventures by Warner Brothers and IDW Games. It's another insane uh, miniature game. I like games where you have to, you know, buy miniatures, paint miniatures. This one is all about Batman, the animated series. I went the whole hog on Kickstarter and backed the big uh, Kahuna thing even before the pandemic um, for some money, in case my wife ever listens to this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, it has... Uh, Basically, it has everything that made the animated series great. A lot of the deep cuts on the villains. A lot of the scenario books are actually taken right from episodes of the show. Uh, and the final goal on the Kickstarter that was actually able to be hit, they only want, I say only, but they only wanted 200000 I believe it was up to almost $3 million when it finished was what they raised. And so the last goal on the Kickstarter was the Girls' Night Out episode, which was a crossover with Superman, the animated series. So the last minis unlocked were Livewire and Supergirl. Oh, nice. And they actually did something which people are upset about. I think it's awesome in that they are playing with the idea of a Kryptonian being too powerful, because they are, 
and Supergirl can actually kill enemies, and since she's a hero, if she kills an enemy, you automatically lose the game. Holy crap. So you have to be careful how you use the overpowered alien, and I think that's bloody brilliant. They caught a lot of flack from, you know, a lot of people on the internet that just like to complain about everything. Uh, as of right now, they haven't changed it, and I hope they haven't. Um, but I mostly bring it up because since I kick, uh, I backed it on Kickstarter, I get all the updates. And they sent me the first five pages uh, just this morning of the scenario book for Mask of the Phantasm. Wow. So I, I was squeeing uh, quite a bit with that. Is there so a Robin? There is a Robin. Do you get to play as a Robin? You can. Um, and the fun part is they, due to some feedback during the Kickstarter, they added a set of rules. You could play as either now the heroes or the villains. Um, and you can either play on a team. Uh, you know, So you and I could play as Batman and Robin. We could play against each other. You could be the heroes. I could be the villains. Or you could even play single player. There is sort of an AI uh, component with some rules, sort of similar to the Dark Souls board game. You know, involving what pieces move and when and things like that. Uh, so it's it's oodles and oodles and oodles of fun, just the little dribs and drabs that I've seen. There's there's demo videos online, uh, but it's supposed to ship. Uh, Black Friday is actually when the first boxes are supposed to ship. So I am. You'll hear me squeeing at home when it comes. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to play it with you, and maybe steal the Robin minifigure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be cool. I'm going to have my work cut out for me painting. Um, I'm lucky in that I usually have about 10 days off between Christmas and New Year's due to my job. You know, we just we close for a week. Uh, I'm probably not going to do much besides paint. <laughs> Fair. But that's a good problem to have. Um, how many extra Lexes did you order? Well, sadly, he's not in this game. What? I would have ordered all of them. Um, but that just gives me a reason to do a little kit bashing. That's all. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's perfectly fine if, well, I was going to say if this one takes off, it took off on Kickstarter. If it sells well, if the base game sells well, uh, in stores, they have sort of hinted that they may try to get the license for Superman, the animated series, um, their next one, IDW's next one, is actually a game you would like. It's actually gonna. It's based off the Last Airbender. Ooh, hell yes! Is it on um, Kickstarter yet? I will go Kickstarter that. I don't know. Uh, you'll have to. You'll have to search IDW games on Kickstarter. But I know that's the next license uh, they got. They did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game, which they actually have online for free. A PDF of crossover rules, so you can have Ninja Turtles and Batman and Robin teaming up to fight Shredder and. The Joker, uh, which is kind of cool. They were including full sets of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game on Kickstarter. If you threw in, I think it was like an extra $150. I had already backed it at the highest level, so I was a little broke. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't able to do that. Um, But you can still get the base uh, Turtles game out there. You can't get some of the Kickstarter exclusives, of course, but... You could still get the basic Turtles game out there, so I may pick that up at some point and do a little, you know, crossover fun. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It looks pretty great. Would play Turtles. Yeah, um, you know, and it's cool in that uh, if you had gotten it on Kickstarter and you got all the levels and everything, I think you got something like 50 Stockman mechs, <laughs> which you could have a lot of fun with. I do love Mausers. 
So, all right, that's board games and whiskey. We're going to have to play literally any one of these. We're going to have to. Well, if you play the beast, please don't tell us. We don't need to know. Keep that secret, just like the game says. The, the Beast may be the only game that you're not supposed to tell people you're playing. Like, it's even in the rules. Like, you're supposed to keep a journal, but hide it. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, I ain't gonna yuck any yums, but just keep your yums to yourself sometimes. I don't know. You could tell me your yums. I don't really give a shit either way. <laughs> All right, Mark, take us out. All right, well, that's it for this episode. That's it for the penultimate episode. Oh, Next shit. week... Season one is going to come to a close with the story of how the two of us first hooked up, got together. And I have to admit, I don't remember all the details. Neither do I. But we have plenty of stories to tell. Oh, Jesus, yes. Um, so that's next week. Uh, of course, we are. We have our website, thewittenwhiskeycast.com. We're on Facebook, The Witten Whiskey Cast. We're on Instagram, The Witten Whiskey Cast. We're on Gmail, The Witten Whiskey Cast at gmail.com. Remember, there is no H in wit, there is an E in whiskey. Yeah, and please, uh, you know, tell us how you like the show. Reach out to us. Let us know if you have any recommendations on. Uh, like episode topics or whiskeys for us to try. We're kind of closing out with uh, the awesome topic of how we met for next week, but we're going to be gearing up for season two pretty hard coming in 2021. So uh, we're always looking for recommendations. Yes. Be it for topics, be it for uh, whiskeys to try, uh, you know, or just, you know, the question you want to get on air or whatever, send us some feedback. Uh, did we not have, or was I, was it a fever dream? I think we had another five-star review that I have to give a shout out to. Wasn't uh, didn't another one of your friends? Leave I us think, a review? I think we're up to two. Uh, I haven't checked recently. I think we're up to two and I don't know who the second, uh, the first person was. I'm looking right now. Keep going. Well, uh, whoever you are, I love you the way DJ loves the beast. And I'm happy to say that it isn't a secret. So if you want this kind of awkward, uncomfortable banter, leave us a five-star review, and I will personally embarrass you, I mean, give you a shout-out on the air each and every week. Um, so there's that. Big ups to Nuno Henry Silva uh, for the intro and the outro. He's been with us literally since the beginning, um, you know, hooking us up with music and batting some uh, ideas around. I think we're going to damn sure try but hopefully get him on the show in season two as one of our guests uh so we're gonna have the link to his soundcloud uh, in the episode notes like we always do give him a, a check out listen to some of his stuff he's bloody brilliant oh yes ryan george you know i thought it was a name ryan but i wasn't sure yeah i didn't want i didn't want to say anything ryan george so there you go ryan george i love you the way dj loves the beast <laughs> get out <laughs> and it's not a secret ryan so there you go <laughs> I don't think we can top that. So I don't think we can either. Uh, I'm just going to say, until next week, salut. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>